Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by Fenley Road Sports. My name is Bob. As always, I'm hanging out with my older brother, Chris. The second round of the NBA playoffs has finally wrapped up. The Houston Rockets wrapped up a Game 7 against the LA Clippers. We just want to do a couple of quick thoughts about the second round of the playoffs. And if you want more NBA, we're going to talk about and preview the Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals in our special edition of What Are You Talking About called Klee Talk. So certainly check that out. Uh, That's going to get posted uh, within 24 hours after we upload this this episode here. So if you want more NBA, certainly check that out. But Chris, I just want to start with the this game that 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 just wrapped up the Rockets you know, they were leading the Clippers by 20 points at the start of the fourth quarter. It wasn't much of a game. If I had one takeaway from this series, which was the only series that went to seven games, it was that both of these teams were going to answer some really serious questions for whoever lost. If the Rockets lost, it would be, how could you lose to a Chris Paul-less team in that game one and essentially give away home court? And if uh, the Clippers lost, which they did, the question is how do you not close out the series when you're leading 3-1, especially at home game six when you have a 16-point lead and Houston Rockets bench beats you? Uh, There are going to be some serious questions for the Clippers to answer, and if the Rockets had lost this game seven, they would have had to answer those very same questions. It was an interesting series to watch. Um, It wasn't my favorite, but it definitely had a ton of drama. Um, so that, that's my impression of that series. What series do you want to hit up? I'll take the Warriors. Uh, just one last thought on the Rockets thing. It's probably the most depressing seven game series ever. It was not, most of the games were blowouts. And to answer your question about the Clippers answering questions, how do you blow this series after you look so great in games three and four? But yeah, yeah, you're right. There are going to be some big questions for the Clippers, but I'm going to take the Warriors and completely my big takeaway from that series is they're down 2-1 and they just said, you know what? We're going to make Tony Allen beat us. We're going to stick Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen and see if he can do it. And as everyone should know, he didn't. He went 2-9 for nine from the field and that yeah. completely changed the entire series. Golden State rolled them after that. It just pretty much just completely, it was an odd coaching move and it worked and you got to give Steve Kerr all the credit in the world. And Memphis is also going to have some tough questions because, you know, this core has been together forever, but they got some free agents coming up and Memphis really feels like the Chicago of the Western Conference. All defense, but they don't have that guy who can really just take over a game like Steph Curry or LeBron James or James Harden or even Chris Paul or uh, Kawhi Leonard like that in the Spurs who lost in the first round. So, yeah, it, it, that that that's the biggest takeaway for me is that Steve Kerr made a pretty gutsy coaching move and it worked to perfection. And it's going to be a very entertaining series in the Western Conference. So moving eastward, uh, which one, what's your one thought? What, which one are you going to focus on? Oh, well, I'm going to talk Cavs-Bulls, but just a quick point about that Memphis-Golden State series. Those first three games were, were a coming-out party for Tony Allen, and Steve Kerr just rewrote the narrative of that series. I mean, he was by far the most entertaining player in those first three games, and to see him 
just be totally taken out of his element and to stop that momentum was it was kind of sad for me because I really like watching him play and it was like you said a, gr- a great move by Kurt but um Cavs Bulls um I would like to take some credit for rewriting the the juju for in the Cavs favor as I predicted that they wouldn't win a game last week and they went you get no credit for that <laughs> you get no credit for that <laughs> it's it's all it's all about the the jinxes man and I I they were I had to revert the karma and there was too much talk about the Cavs winning the finals no, but no seriously um this was just a knockout uh back and forth probably the most entertaining series to watch but not the best basketball to watch um just it was an, a, a a boxing match between these two my biggest takeaway is that last game six Kyrie Irving tweaks his knee and in comes Matthew Dellavedova who I've made fun of all season as you know being the backup point guard on a championship caliber team and he played his mind out and had the best game of his career and the biggest moment for the Cavs this season. So that's my big takeaway. And it, I think it illuminates just how hurt Kyrie Irving is and how limited he is. So that's something to look forward to in the Eastern Conference Finals, which we will be talking about a lot more in our CLE talk later. Oh, certainly. That one's going to get a lot of pub in Klee talk because it's Cleveland, of course. So, yeah, we'll we'll definitely be expanding upon uh, Del Vidova and the Chicago Bulls in our Klee Talk podcast. But moving over to that other series, the last one, I had two takeaways from the Wizards-Hawks series. First, Atlanta, I don't think Atlanta's that good, and I think that series just reinforced that. And second, I think Washington is a team on the rise, and it's a legit team on the rise. They've got a legitimate top 15 fringe top 10 player in John Wall, who's only getting better. Otto Porter showed why I advocated him going number one overall in the draft two years ago. He had a solid postseason. And Bradley Beal is another guy who's working his way towards the top 20 as far as NBA players go. That's a really strong core to build around. And if you look at next year, they still got Neneg or Tot, Paul Pierce. I haven't checked their free agency situation, so Neneg or Tot may have contracts. But the point I'm making here is those guys... That's a good team right there. They can win on the road. I think if John Wall was 100%, they would have beat the Hawks. That's a team on the rise. They have a lot to look forward to. And looking down the road, Paul Pierce's uh, expiring contract next year. They're keeping that small forward spot open for maybe another homecoming from Kevin Durant. So if they had Kevin Durant two years from now, that would really put them over the edge. But the Wizards, there's a lot to like about that team, even though they lost to Atlanta. And as I'll talk more in Clay Talk, I'm about to drop a big disrespect bomb on the Hawks in that other podcast, so don't forget to tune in for that one. But Bob and I were talking. We've been doing a lot of uh, you know basketball lately, and rightfully so. But we got to catch up on a little baseball here, man. I mean, it's yeah. been, what, a month and a half or so, almost two months, and, and we haven't done anything since the preview. So it's time for us to sort of dust off baseball and ask a couple of big questions. A lot has happened in this season so far. And we'll just start it off. I mean, a lot of home runs have been hit. A lot of big home runs have been hit. You know, you got Miguel Cabrera, Adrian Beltre, each hit their uh, 400th home run. Alex Rodriguez hit a milestone as well. You know, we're talking with Miggy and Adrian. Do you think Miguel Cabrera is going to hit 600 home runs? That's... It's hard to tell because he's definitely showing signs of wear and tear. 
as in he can't finish a full season without getting hurt. So that's only going to continue. But he also has yet to transition to a full-time DH position, which I think we're going to see uh, in the next couple of years. So I, I think he is. I mean, he is 32 at this point, or is he 34? He is 32. 32. 32. So he has, realistically, if he if he's going for that 600 mark, he has eight years to do it. And that's hitting less than 30 home runs a year throughout that 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 spin. He's he's the the last great hope to hit that 600 mark. I don't think Pujols is gonna is gonna hit it. Um, I think he's gonna do it. I do. Yeah, I didn't research Pujols, but Pujols is already at 500. So Pujols could. Pujols isn't that old. I think Pujols could too. But um, about Cabrera, I think he's going to do it too. He's 32 years old. So assume he has six good years left in him. Assume he averages 25 home runs for those six years. That puts him at 550 plus whatever he hits this year. He has 10 so far. So say, assume he gets to 30. That puts him at 560 at 38 years old. Well, that means in those last two years, he pretty much only, he would have to hit 20. But that's also assuming that he only hits 25, that he only averages 25. And and none of those six years, he uh, ascends past that, which is certainly possible. So the more he hits, if the more he exceeds 25, the less work he has to do at 38, or excuse me, 39 and 40 years old. I think he can do that. Um, but I think he's going to need uh, two or three monster years to get to 700, which is a pretty long shot yeah. at this point in his career. But I think 600 is a realistic number. I think in eight years he could do that. But you mentioned the DH spot. Miguel Cabrera is going to hold, I mean, not Miguel Cabrera, um, Victor Martinez is going to hold that down for a few more years. They just signed him to a four-year deal. So yeah. I he's going to have to play first base at least for the next, what, three seasons after this one unless Victor retires early or they trade him. Yeah, well, I see Victor. I mean, his his body is betraying him faster than you would like to hope with that four-year deal. I mean, he gets knee surgery in the offseason every year there's gonna be I don't think he's gonna play out that four-year contract as a starter so and you know Miguel Cabrera his health is comes before everything else I think you will see before the four years are up Miguel Cabrera being the full-time DH which makes that four-year contract even dumber than it was I mean you don't sign a guy like Victor Martinez to four years I, I he's a great hitter and he should have gotten a contract but four years that that was a little long when they signed yeah. him. well i mean they're they're all in for now you know the further away you get from well their window is is closing as as we speak but talk about adrian beltre so he's two years older he just hit 400 home runs i don't think he's going to get to 600 because he other than that one well, month, 600 he's not getting to 500 dude. Yeah. well other than, he's gonna struggle with the 500 <laughs> Other than that one monster year where he smashed 42 home runs out of nowhere, he's been a 20 home run guy. But he's also been one of my favorite baseball players to watch in the last 10 years and one of my favorite third basemen to watch. Uh, Do you think he is a Hall of Fame candidate? Well, yeah, let's do some math. He's 36 years old, so he's not done playing yet. I think he'll still play for at least two or three years. So if he bashes some more home runs in that time, say he averages 20 a year, he could possibly, if he hits 15 more this year, get 
to 500. That would put him at 485. So 15 more this year and then averaging 20 a year for the next three years. Puts him at 485. I doubt he'd retire so close to 500. So maybe he can DH his way to 500. And if he gets to the 500 club, he's in. Right now, I actually think that if he gets to about the 450 home run mark, which is very realistic if he plays four years, and he keeps that career average at around 284, he'll probably have anywhere from uh, 1450 to 1500 RBIs. He's two RBIs shy of 1400, by the way. Combined with his notoriety as one of the best defensive players, he has four gold gloves, and 538 did a nice article about his more advanced defensive statistics. I think the combination of a 400-plus hitter with a strong defensive glove certainly puts him in the Hall of Fame conversation. Then when you add the caveat that all these other steroids guys aren't getting in, they may look to him as someone they'd want to make an example of and, and put him in. So there could be some politicking there, but I think that his numbers certainly get him in the conversation for the Hall of Fame. And I think with his defensive notoriety would tie break in the sense if he falls short of 500 home runs. So yes, I think he is worthy of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think home runs is the way you measure Adrian Beltre. It's the com- the consistency of his offense once he figured it out after kind of falling short in Seattle. And then that, that defensive glove plus the postseason World Series run that he went with on Texas and how he just, I mean, he, him and Nelson Cruz carried those teams. And uh, I don't think that's not a moment that I forget a lot because he he was pretty special in those postseason. So I think he's deserving of the Hall of Fame. Now, I correct is he guilty of steroids or is it just suspected? I don't think he was ever talked about with steroids, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that points to it is he hit 42 home runs in a contract year, relatively young, and has never come close to doing that again. But, yeah, I don't think there's any evidence that he has or or is convicted or, or named as a steroid user. So I hope that doesn't come out because I love him as a player. Can't trust anyone nowadays, though. It's It's real sad, though. That's true. So there's another guy that's chasing home runs. Uh, Alex Rodriguez is now fourth all time. I think he's at 661 just past Millie Mays. Um, How far do you think he's going to get in that home run chart? Well, first off, he is 39 years old, but he's made it very clear that he is going to see every cent of that $40 million the Yankees still owe him over the next two years, which means he would play through 2017, which means two more years plus whatever's left in this year. So let's do a little math. I think he easily gets to 700 if he plays out his contract because he's only, what, 29 away? He's at 661. So, no, wait, that would be 39. 39 away, excuse me. He it, So assuming he doesn't retire, he doesn't need that much. You know, he averages, he would only need to average about 12 per year if he hits 12 more this year. And he already has seven. And in his last two seasons, he hit 16 in 99 games and 18 in 122 games. He has seven in 44 games. So if he stays healthy, I think he hits at least 12 more, maybe even more than that this year. I'm going to go one step further. I think he's going to hit 51 more home runs 
and passed the Babe for third all-time. So, yeah, I think he will get to 700 and even pass Babe Ruth's mark of 712 and, and get to that, you know, rarefied top three. But I don't think he's going to come anywhere close to Hank Aaron. I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he has to he has a long ways to go to to get to that top 2, but Babe Ruth, I think that's the his ceiling. Obviously, if he gets hurt, that's not going to happen. What do you think about the the home run bonuses and the the fight against it? I mean, they pay 6 million dollars every time he ties or breaks these top 4 guys and then combine that with the luxury tax. They're paying the Yankees are are paying $12 million every time he sets a record, but they're refusing to play it to pay it. And they're going to go to court over that. What do you, what are your thoughts just about, about Alex Rodriguez chasing these milestones and, and the battle that is, is ongoing with the Yankees and Alex Rodriguez. Pay the man. They're benefiting from him hitting home runs. They can get on their moral soapbox all they want. But at the end of the day, A-Rod is putting fans in the seat with his home run chase he is driving their profitability. They owe him the bonus money. They signed the contract. They should honor it. Bottom line. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a little trivial for the Yankees to to be fighting over this contract. I mean, he's he's playing. He he beat. I mean, he he served the year suspension. Like, I, stop stop whining. Like, you signed the deal. This is what you get. Right. And I gotta correct my math there. If he's at six sixty one, that would be thirty nine home runs, not. 29 home runs as i said earlier so 30 39 home runs to 700 uh, the the math is moot because he's actually at 664 ah, as, my of, bad. as of so, the recording of this podcast so i i misspoke so, and so, so I, I was off by a lot yeah 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 so yeah he needs 36 home runs so that yeah, that would be 12 per year if he hits 12 more this year so long long story short we're we're podcasters not mathematicians so forgive <laughs> us but long story short, he needs 36 more home runs, 12 per year if he hits 12 more this year. Yeah, I think I think he's definitely going to hit 700. Um, setting a, passing those top three is, is going to be a challenge. Um, Ruth is probably the only one he could get to, but we'll see. And it's, it, oh, it's there's no chance he's getting 755. That, that that there's no way he's hitting that many. He can't. He's not going to play that long. There's just no way that's happening. Unless he calls up biogenesis again. <laughs> I don't even think they can help him at this yeah. point. Father Time's about to win the war. Yeah. All right. So, uh, all right. Here's another question. So, wait. Let me see what he's as of today. What his batting average is? D Gordon's hitting 425 for the Miami Marlins. How? Where is he going to end the season in terms of batting average? Uh, over under on 350. I mean, first off, is he going to hit 400? And then what's the over-under on him finishing 350? Well, he's a career 289 hitter who has only hit more than 300 once, and that was only in 56 games played. Last year in 148 games, the only time he's played more than 87, he hit a solid 289. But that's a far cry from 350. So he may have a strong year, the best year of his career, and still only, quote-unquote, hit 320 or 325. I'm taking the under on that. I don't think he's hitting 350. Yeah, neither do I. It's, I mean, it, it's impressive that he's carried this, this prolific batting this long. I mean, this isn't like two weeks into the season. You know, we're, we're uh, about six weeks in, so it, it's impressive for him. But yeah, I definitely see him in for a, a very quick fall. He's 
the he is defying the some of the metrics of his of his averages for like batted balls in play and just the velocity of the balls that he hits. So yeah, he's in he's in for a fall, and I'm taking the under under on that too as well. I will say that he'll steal sixty bases again this year. He stole sixty four last year. I think he'll get to sixty steals, but now three fifty for him that's that's a lot. But hey, I still think he'll hit in the three hundreds. I still think he'll hit three twenty or so. That'll still be a great year, but. 350 that's a tall order man yeah yeah definitely he needs to get his caught stealings down he's he's stolen 12 bags but he's gotten thrown out seven times hey man can't steal if you don't try yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's true but anyway it might be a little early to talk about mvp favorites but do you think mike trout is still the favorite to win in the american league because i personally don't think you can anoint you can even handicap the race at this point um, I think for some reason I I get the sense that he is not the favorite, even though he's done nothing different than what he did last year. I mean, he's hitting 300 is at 10 home runs and 21 RBIs. If you project that out for 162 games, he's going to fall right into that MVP numbers that he posted last year of 36 home runs and 111 RBIs. Um, he already has seven stolen bases as well. That's, um, well on his way to getting up to 16, which is what he had last year. So he's doing nothing wrong, but I just get the feeling that he right now, if there was a vote, he wouldn't get it. I, if I were to pick somebody other than him, I would pick Nelson Cruz who has just been hitting the lights out of the ball and has ridiculous home run total of what is that? 15 home yeah, runs fif- as of this recording. Yeah. 15 and then a batting average of 348. Um, he is the AL MVP at this point in my book, but Mike Trout, I mean, he's going to, he's going to continue his numbers all the way through the season. I think he will be the AL MVP, but for some reason people think he's like regressing or something. I don't know. When you set high expectations, people see regression very quickly, but I agree. I, I think it's too early to handicap it, but I will say this. If it's close between Trout and Cruz, the voters are going Trout. They're not going to give the MVP to a steroids guy, and I think that's why Cruz didn't get it last year. The guy hit over 40 home runs and was a big reason why the Orioles pushed through and won the AL East. I, I certainly would have very much considered Cruz as the number one vote. not saying Trout didn't deserve to win it, but I think Cruz would have gotten more hype and consideration had he not been coming off that biogenesis suspension. I think that's going to be a very big factor working against Cruz when we're talking MVP. But if you're looking at his numbers, no doubt Nelson Cruz is the MVP of the American League, at least through this recording. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. I, Mike Trout, I mean, he's he's going to be there. And I, Nelson Cruz is probably going to be in for a little bit of regression through the season, but I mean, he can hit 40 home runs. He did it last year. So I think he's already got 15. If he does 15 more every two months, he'll be at 40 or 45. So, I mean, yeah, he's got a huge head start and certainly could get 40 again, which is great for both of my fantasy teams as you're finding out this week. Yeah. (laughs) Anyone is great against my fantasy team. It seems, (laughs) but, um, all right, here's another over-under I want to play with you. Uh, the Boston Red Sox have a team ERA of 464. That's good for 27th in the league. Uh, what's the over-under, uh, say, 450 team ERA at the end of the year? 
And do you see them making a trade for a starting pitcher of a Cole Hamels caliber and during the midseason? Well, first, even if they don't make a trade, 450 is not. Uh, I mean, they could get under that. It still wouldn't be good, but I think they could get under 450. If they do make a trade, definitely, because I think that they should and probably are seriously kicking the tires with regards to Cole Hamels or Johnny Cueto, who is rumored, who has been rumored to be available, though I don't know about that. Hamels, certainly, he's been on the block for like three years now, and there's always rumors around him. I think the Red Sox are going to make a move because the AL East is a very weak division. They certainly could win it. They're certainly in it. And I think pitching is the only thing that's really holding them back. So I I think Boston is going to make a deal at some point this year to bring in a frontline starter to help solidify that rotation. Yeah, they have to. I mean, the the money invested in the team gives no indication this is a rebuild year. They're in for the, the postseason. They're hovering around 500 right now. Rick Purcello leads the starters in ERA at 426. (laughs) That is awful. Yeah, it is really bad. Buckles is at 4.93. Joe Kelly 5.58. Wade Miley 5.60, and Justin Masterson 6.37. Like this starting rotation is, I mean, we we talked about in the preview. It's mediocre at best, but I think this is worse than expected for them. Yeah, it's probably slightly worse than expected, but I think a lot of people saw that this rotation wasn't going to scare anyone, and they're certainly going to make a trade for a start. If they want to contend, they have to, and I think they're in the thick of things, and there's a lot of pressure in Boston to win, so I certainly think they're going to make a trade of some sort. Yeah, definitely. So are you saying Cole Hamels is going to Boston, or do you think Cole Hamels could go somewhere else? I don't know if Cole Hamels is going to get moved because Philadelphia seems to really overprice their guys. I don't know if it's going to be Cole Hamels, but I certainly think the Red Sox are going to acquire another frontline pitcher of some sort. I just don't know if it's going to be Hamels. Okay. Yeah, it's too hard to predict where a guy's going to get moved. I think Hamels is going to get moved. They owe him a lot of money through the next three years, and he's not having... Uh, his typical year I, I I think it's time time to move him finally yeah it certainly wouldn't surprise me if Hamels got moved but it's it, again like you said it's hard to predict because you don't know what the asking price is and you don't know what kind of prospects are being valued so there are a lot of things that there that are hard to project with that but I do think Boston will be on the market for a pitcher I'm sure that they'll kick the tires on Cole Hamels and I think they're going to acquire someone whether or not it's Hamels um, it's hard to say yeah, we will see. So speaking of Team ERA, the St. Louis Cardinals lead all teams with a 292 Team ERA. And this is after receiving news that Adam Wainwright was done for this season. What, that was probably three weeks ago now with a with a torn Achilles? And yeah, it was a few weeks ago. Two weeks ago? No, a few. I don't know if it was two, but it was a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's it's been a, a at least a few weeks removed from from not having your ace and they're leading the league in team era still and they're sitting pretty on top of the nl central with 24 and 12 record do you see the cardinals being able to sustain uh the nl central dominance without wainwright i'm gonna read you my answer to this question verbatim this was the easiest one to research Yes, because it's St. Louis and it's an odd year. Don't bet against the Spurs and pa- slash Patriots of the MLB. 
<laughs> I yes, that that's my argument too. I mean, the rotation of Lance Lynn, John Lackey, Michael Waka, Carlos Martinez, and Tyler Lyons isn't inspiring at all. But I have no lack of faith in them. They're gonna go out and they might not get Cole Hamels, but they'll get another pitcher at the deadline to help them. They haven't been shy of making moves. Uh, they have a really good bullpen. They still have a really good lineup. It's the Cardinals. Uh, they're not. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if some random guy from their farm system steps up out of nowhere because that's generally their method of operation. They just call some guy up in July. Oh, by the way, we drafted this guy in like the second round and he's going to win the Cy Young now. So that this team just does everything right. So I'm just not going to bet against them. Yeah, unfortunately for them, the Pirates are having a lot of struggles, which I think is the second most talented team in that division. Obviously, the Cubs are having a, a good start, but they're young. They could be prone to ups and downs throughout the season. So, yeah, I, I, my NL Central prediction was Cardinals are going to take the division. Uh, I don't see any reason why they're not going to, even without Rainwright. They won the World Series without him uh, last time this happened. Mm-hmm. So it's a good luck charm. Every time he gets hurt, it's- I mean, look, the Cardinals are going to be fine. Yeah. But you mentioned the Cubs, and there have been a lot of sort of surprises in baseball this year. The Cubs come to mind. The Yankees, the Astros, the Mets especially, and kind of the Royals. A lot of people thought that they were going to slide after having a surprise run to the World Series. Who's legit, Who's your biggest surprise, and do you think that they're going to stay around? Um, The two teams in New York are my biggest surprises the fact that the New York Yankees are leading the division by two games in the AL East isn't all that surprising because we, we talked about in the preview that division is, is probably the most wide open. It's not the most talented, but all five of those teams did have a shot at winning that division. It still is impressive that they're sitting on top considering the Blue Jays and Orioles are, are there along with the Red Sox. But I'm most surprised by the Mets. Um, I did not think they had it in them at all uh it's been the story is starting pitching for them i mean they're second in the league with a team era of 305 they got a really good like they, they have a lot of young kids they, they just called up a guy who's who started today um they call him like thor i think it's, it's like send sender guard or something because he has a really norse name um yeah they they are my biggest surprise i don't know if they can sustain it particularly because they're in the same division with the Washington Nationals, who is just a juggernaut. I think that they're going to, you know, they are built to sustain for 162 games. But the Mets, they're they're surprising. That rotation turned out to be a lot better and arrive a lot quicker than we thought, obviously led by Matt Harvey. So, yeah, they're my surprise. Yes, certainly. Matt Harvey's return has been a big impact and a really nice story. But like you, I think they'll falter to the Nationals, a team we'll talk about in a minute here. But... If they're going to sustain this, the offense needs to improve. They're only 22nd in runs scored, 23rd in home runs with 29 home runs, and 21st in team batting average at 238. If those numbers don't improve, they're not going to the playoffs. So the Mets could be a pretender. They'll be better than advertised. I think they'll hang around because they're not in a particularly tough division after Washington. But if they're going to win the division, those offensive numbers need to improve. Talking about Houston, they're not a surprise for me because I had them in the playoffs, but I didn't think they'd be as good as they are right now at 24 and 13. Yeah. So 
it, that's definitely a fun story to see the Astros kind of come up from the basement and make some noise early in the season. Hopefully it can last for them because, you know, they're, it, it's good to see a, you know, a team that's been down in the dumps for a while rise up as long as it's not one of our Cleveland's rivals or something like that. But you mentioned Washington, and we talked about Washington. Um, you know, Bryce Harper's having a great year. Steven Strasburg might be struggling. Do you think the Nationals are in trouble, and do you think that this is you know, Bryce Harper's big breakout year? I don't think the, the Nationals are in trouble, per se. I mean, they are half a game out of the NL East. They're, they're four games above 500. You know, in the last 10 games, they're 8-2. They've, they're and two. So I don't see any signs of them, you know, having a disappointing year per se. Max Scherzer has been lights out for them. He's been really good. I think he has a like a sub three ERA, and he's been he's been deserving of that contract. Um, and Bryce Harper has finally arrived. Maybe I mean I know that's the question you ask, but um, he's playing out of his mind right now, and he's playing like the player that people expected him to play or expected him to be Uh, my biggest thing with Bryce Harper hasn't been the recognition of talent. Like that talent is undeniable that he has. It's uh, can he stay healthy? I mean, the, the most games he's played is 139. That was his rookie year. 118 and 100 were in 2013 and 2014. So he's, he's always shown these flashes of being deserving of all the hype but he's never been able to sustain it. Is this the year for that? I mean, really only time can tell because he's proven a knack for playing a little bit too hard and getting hurt. So uh, yes, he, he is showing why he was the number one pick showing why he, uh, the so much hype was built around him. But I think only time can tell if uh, he's actually MVP worthy at this point. Now, first off, Scherzer has a sub two ERA at one seventy five, so he is definitely putting himself yeah. in early Cy Young contention. But yeah, with with the Harper question, I, I don't think it's a, a question of arrival. I think he arrived when he won Rookie of the Year, and he's shown that he's had the capability. But I think it's more of a breakout year, taking that step from being a really good player to the elite, all you know, transcendent player that people had made him out to be when he was called up his rookie year. And so I think that's the big thing with him. He's certainly playing like he could be the NL MVP if he continues to, even if his average just keeps up. He's a career 277 hitter who's hitting 326. So he's definitely stepping it up with his plate approach. If he can just keep that up, his average up, and stay healthy, He's going to have numbers worthy of being NL MVP, especially if the net with that rotation at the Nationals, they're going to win a lot of games. The Nationals are not in trouble. I agree with you there. They're 21 and 17, a half game out of first. They started seven and 13, and people started to panic, but they're 14 and four since. So they're just fine. That pitching's the best in the business. The biggest issue with the Nationals, though, is the bullpen. After Drew Storen, there is a bit of a leaky bridge to uh, get to him, but. A, every team has a weakness. The Nationals certainly could go out and make a trade or something. Bullpen guys, middle relievers aren't too hard to get at the trade deadline. So I think they're going to be right there just as everyone predicted in the preseason. Yeah, but what about Strasburg? I mean, he has a 6.06 ERA, 
his last two outings ended uh, with just three innings pitched. Um, the one on May 5th, he pulled himself out because of a back problem. But uh, last start, he got rocked for seven runs. Um, is is it cause for concern, or do you think it's just him having a rough start? Well, anytime you see the ERA six or more, it's cause for concern. But I think Strasburg is kind of a, a an unfortunate story because ever since his Tommy John surgery, he's had problems staying healthy. Let's not forget, he's every year he's struck out more guys than innings pitch. And last year he had 242 strikeouts and 215 innings. So that's still solid. This year he has 35 and 35.2 innings. So I think he'll be fine. There's certainly some signs you don't want to see. But at the same time, there's plenty of time for him to get things straightened out. I think he'll be fine, and I think it helps that there's not the weight of the world on his shoulders anymore. He can legitimately be considered their fourth starter behind Scherzer, Jordan Zimmerman, and Gio Gonzalez. So there's not a lot of pressure on him. He certainly has time to get things right. I think he'll be fine. Yeah, I think it's time to readjust expectations for him. He's not going to be the best pitcher in baseball like he was expected to be. But I, I still think he can have a good, he can be a good pitcher, and he I think he has to figure some things out because he's throwing the lowest velocity of his career. He's used to throwing 100 miles per hour. Now he's down to 94, which is still good. Um, he just has to figure things out. And all pitchers go through these transformations, um, and the ones that are able to do it stick, and they have good careers. And the ones that can't, they flame out. So he's he's got some struggles to to work through, but he he'll be okay. Well, we've mentioned this a couple times before. We're doing another podcast called Clee Talk. It'll be the second Clee Talk edition of our monthly bonus Cleveland-focused podcast. So we'll talk a lot about the disappointing Cleveland Indians there. But Bob, other than the Cleveland Indians, who were picked to win the World Series by Sports Illustrated and one other person on this podcast who will go unnamed, <laughs> uh, who is your biggest disappointment of the baseball season so far? I got to go with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, they're seven and a half games out of first place. They're 17 and 20. And I think it just mostly stems from not only did I pick them to, to win a wild card, but I picked Andrew McCutcheon to win the MVP. And he has not looked good at all. He's had a, he had a terrible April. Um, he just hasn't been playing well. Without him, they don't have a lot of hope because he's, he's just so good. Um, they, they've definitely been disappointing for the first quarter of the season. Certainly. And well, I will say Andrew McCutcheon, who is on my fantasy team, is starting to turn it around over the last couple of weeks. So that's definitely encouraging. Uh, that's a very good choice for disappointment. But for me, it's a tie between Toronto and Baltimore. Right now, both are five games out of the division. Looking up at the Yankees and the Rays, who are first and second, Baltimore's 15 and 19, lost seven of the last 10. Blue Jays on a four game losing streak and lost six of the last 10. They're supposed to be the contenders of the American League East. They're going to have to get it together. Still plenty of time because when you're talking about five games out, it's not like it's the end of the world just yet. But they certainly have got to get things together if they're going to live up to those preseason expectations. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, come on, guys. Get my predictions right. <laughs> hey, man, I, I picked them too. I picked Toronto. So it's not like, uh, you know, we're in the same boat there. Yeah. But hey, hey, we've had some rookies. Oh, I'm sorry. What were you saying? Oh, I know this one isn't on the list, and I know we have another one to get to, but what what are your thoughts about Josh Hamilton and the trade the Angels made? Well, I think the one place he should – I think he wound up at the one place he should have gone to uh, in Texas. I think that's 
the place where he's had the most success. And so hopefully the comforting scene there will do do him some good. But yeah, it's a, it's a really unfortunate situation the way things ended in Anaheim, or excuse me, the Los Angeles Angels. Um, so I am glad he wound up with Texas because I think that's the one team that he would be most comfortable with. Yeah, I think it's good for him. I think it's amazing that the Angels not only they gave him away for nothing and are paying $63 million of his $80 million that are left. That's that's mind-boggling to me. I know this is like a personal situation that is a little more important than the 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 talk of baseball, but that's a huge amount of cash to not even have the guy on your team to not even get a single return for him. So that's the main takeaway I took. Like my jaw dropped when I heard that they were paying that much of his contract to go play for another team. As a big number, and yeah, obviously there's more to it than just the getting prospects and the business side, but that's a tough pill to swallow. $63 million in dead money. I don't care what franchise you are. Yeah. But yeah, we do have some rookies, Rookie of the Year talk uh, coming up and everything. Who do you think the strongest rookie of the 2015 season has been so far? Um, There, there have been a lot. Uh, obviously, Chris Bryant is the first guy that comes to mind. I don't think he has played the best of the rookies. Um, there's a guy named Devin Travis, second baseman for the Blue Jays, who is killing it. He, In terms of all second baseman, he had the, the best offensive April uh, of them all. He's in 297, seven home runs, and 23 RBIs. This guy came straight from double A to the MLB, and he, he's he's torn it up for, for a month and a half. I don't think he's getting as much recognition because you guys guys like Bryant and Jacques Peterson, but... Uh, Devin Travis is a name to look out for in this in the Rookie of the Year race. Yeah, you actually mentioned both guys I had on my list, Devin Travis and Chris Bryant. I think Chris Bryant's doing very well, 291 average, four home runs, 24 RBIs, and Travis hitting 271 with seven home runs and 26 RBIs. Those two certainly have played their way into being very strong contenders for Rookie of the Year, at least in the early goings. But again, very long season, hard to handicap those races just yet. Yeah, certainly. Well, man, we plowed through that MLB preview. I think we caught up a little bit. We gave some love back to the baseball. Certainly. Yeah, it seems like we lapped the track a little bit, getting caught up. But we'll we'll talk a lot more baseball as the year goes on, too. It's just with all the basketball stuff going on, it's hard to break away from that. And the NFL has some stuff going on, too. It probably doesn't want this thing to be out there, but I'm sure if you're a sports fan, you've heard that Tom Brady has been hit with a four-game suspension, the Patriots a million-dollar fine, docked some draft picks, a first-rounder, and oddly a fourth-rounder, too. I thought that was kind of funny. Do you think the suspension was fair, Bob, and do you think Tom Brady will end up serving all four games of his suspension? Well, this is the third time we're going to talk about Deflategate, so if you want to hear or catch up on our opinions, you know, go, go back and check out those two podcasts we post last week. Um, I think the suspension of Brady was fair. It's what I called for um, last week's podcast. I thought they would go a little bit harder so that the appeal would land it right around four games. But with the news that Roger Goodell is going to be the guy listening to the appeal, I don't see it changing that much. That kind of made me laugh when I heard that he was the one sitting on it. Um, I thought that part, of the suspension of the ruling was fair. It's the, the other, the million dollars and and the first round draft pick that I'm really surprised that that happened to the Patriots. And I think it's because the NFL 
I think the Patriots have been daring the NFL to act upon some of the things they've been doing and have just been waiting and trying to bait them into this fight. And now they're going to go on the offensive and, and try and embarrass the NFL. I think the NFL acted on Deflategate in the mindset that the Patriots were repeat offenders, particularly with Spygate. So that's how I justify their rationale. But I, that surprised me, the uh, the harshness of the penalties on the organization as a whole. Yeah, that didn't surprise me as much. I thought that they would do something in line with the Spygate penalties, which was a $500,000 fine to the organization and a first-round draft pick. I knew that I, I had a feeling the fine would be bigger and that the draft pick would be a first with a supplemental pick. So that didn't surprise me at all. Tom Brady's suspension didn't surprise me either. We talked about that on our other podcast. I had a feeling he would get suspended. What is going to be interesting is to see if the suspension will get reduced. There's a couple things I want to bring up here. First, in the Patriots' appeal, they're calling Roger Goodell as a witness, as a way to get him to show that he's biased in ruling on this appeal. So they're kind of setting themselves up to challenge the NFL in a either legal or some other setting and they're going to use that as how can he rule on this when he's a witness in this so i thought that was a very clever move in the appeal the other thing i want to touch upon is i brought up ben roethlisberger's suspension from 2010 and obviously what he did is a lot more severe than what tom brady did not comparing the crimes i'm comparing how the nfl ushered in discipline They gave Ben Roethlisberger a six-game suspension. However, his first four games were before the Steelers' bye week, and they ultimately reduced it to four so that way he could come back for their bye week and be fine. The first three games of Tom Brady's suspension is before their bye week. I think the suspension will be reduced by at least one game, much in the way they did with the Ben Roethlisberger suspension. I think that's kind of what the end game was for the NFL all along. I think they will reduce it by at least one game, some way, shape, or form. That is, if the Patriots don't get all nuclear and honestly win this appeal and get the punishment completely overturned, which I don't think will happen. But I think Roger Goodell, I I do think they will reduce the suspension by at least one game. I I mean, I could see that happening. I'm viewing this as two huge egos going head-to-head and either one's going to back down. I think it's all or nothing with with either these the suspension stays or it it goes away i don't think there's going to be much of a a reduction or a compromise i i think it's this is going to be a nasty drawn out fight between one of the premier franchise in the in nfl and the nfl itself so it's gonna it's not going away and it's going to be really interesting to see what how this plays out oh no i see a, a much bigger topic on the flake in our future not just a sort of quick one, but right now it's pretty much they got punished and now we'll see what happens, but the appeal is definitely going to be an interesting story to follow. But yeah, we're going to finish up with some quick hits here. Uh, the Marlins fired their manager, Mike Redmond, so going back to baseball, Marlins already looking for a new manager. guess they weren't too happy with their start and maybe you know they weren't happy with the development of D. Gordon, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's it's weird because a, a midseason firing like this is usually because you're not living up to expectations, but the Marlins shouldn't have entered this year with much higher expectations than being 16 and 21 and five games out of first place. I don't, 
it seems a little reactionary to me. Maybe they just didn't believe in Mike Redmond and wanted to, to make a change, but it, it, it's a little puzzling to me. Yeah, that's the head scratcher. It's like, what? You guys weren't winning the World Series this year. What's the big deal? Actually, I thought they were doing just fine as to where they were being projected. So it was a head scratcher from that standpoint. The big news, though, American Pharaoh won the Preakness and is putting himself or herself, the horses, putting itself in position to be the first Triple Crown runner since affirmed in 1978. Belmont is three weeks from now, about June 6th. Do you think he's going to do it? Yes, I think he's going to do it. And I know history is against me. I know that we've had, this is the third candidate to win the Triple Crown in four years. Uh, He just seemed, or is it she, you said? I don't know. I said he or she because I wasn't sure. All right. Well, American Pharaoh just seems to be the dominant horse more so than uh, in years past. It won the Kentucky Derby in perfect conditions, and then it won a really tricky Preakness in what was a, a muddy, stormy day. So it's proven it can win in adversity. I really don't know what I'm talking about in terms of horse, horse racing, but uh, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, it's going to happen. Sure. Neither do I, but I know the Belmont's the toughest. It's a lo- it's the longest of the three. It's a tough track, so there's tricky things happen. There's also shenanigans where some trainers don't race their horse in the first two to save it up for the Belmont and all that fun stuff. But I hope it does because it would be a really cool story. Since 2002, we've had six horses enter the Belmont with the first two in hand. Then from 97 to 04, six of those eight years, had a horse run for the Triple Crown at the Belmont. So there have been a lot of opportunities over the last 20 years or so. Hopefully, American Pharaoh can be the first since 1978 and kind of end that drought. And it'll be a sweet story. It'll be a really nice story for horse racing. One last one. I'm going to throw sort of a curveball at you. Stanley Cup Final Four, Rangers, Lightning, Blackhawks, Ducks. Who you got? I'll take the Blackhawks and the Lightning in the final. (laughs) um i'm taking blackhawks and rangers okay good picks those are good picks (laughs) i have a 50 50 shot for both of (laughs) them you do we're not the biggest hockey fans in the world but we do try for all you stanley cup people out there but all right man i think we touched on everything single sport in this podcast man we had a little nice little around the horn there so hopefully you guys enjoyed it please continue to support us at fenleyroadsports.com follow us on twitter at fenleyrdsports or instagram at fenleyroadsports please subscribe to our podcast via itunes and your continued support is always appreciated we'll get some more blogs out this week as well and yeah have a great great week and hope you enjoyed our podcast and come back for more yeah man i'll talk to you soon chris all right man take it easy bob you too